0: Hi, welcome to In Talks With, I'm Danielle Rudoychen. In this episode, my guest is Sam Lackey. Sam is the director at the Liverpool Biennial, the UK's largest festival of contemporary art. The Biennial, a festival which happens every two years in a city around the world, often in disused spaces, is the chance to revitalise the city it's taking place in. The 12th edition of the Liverpool Biennial, which has just closed, addressed the history of the city of Liverpool and acted as a call for ancestral and indigenous forms of knowledge, wisdom and healing. Sam has been director here since 2021, when she joined from the Whitworth, where she was head of collections and exhibitions. Before this, she was curator at the Hepworth Wakefield, where she was part of the team that opened the gallery to critical acclaim in 2011. In her words, we are trying to make a biennial that could only take place in Liverpool. In the weeks before the 2023 edition of the Biennial closed, I visited Sam at her makeshift office in the Tobacco Warehouse, one of the event's locations, to hear all about what goes into making the Biennial happen. Hi Sam. Today I'm in Liverpool speaking to Sam Lackey, director of the Liverpool Biennial, hi how are you Hello. <laughs> very well this is the 12th edition of the biennial it opened in june this year and it's running through until mid-september yeah, 17th so, of september 17th of
1: september so it's sort of in a full swing how's it been going it's been going brilliantly i couldn't have wished for it to have gone any other way to be honest we had an amazing opening with beautiful weather, amazing artists from around the world, people from across the country, loads of uh, local friends and colleagues as well. And since then, we've just had a brilliant um, period of opening across the city. So yeah, it's going pretty well. We worked really hard to try and make it really visible across the city. Um, Ideally, we'd like to be everywhere. Um, But at the moment, what we'll do is we um, will take over electronic billboards. We've got fly posters. And then we're across the city in eight different cultural venues. So those are established galleries like Tate, Bluecoat, Fact, Open Eye. And then we have our own sites as well. So the one we're sitting in now is called Tobacco Warehouse. It's this huge building. In fact, it's the biggest brick built building in the world. Um, and we have our own sites. And then we have sculptures that are in public spaces. So they're in town squares or shopping centres. Um, we'll go wherever's most appropriate for the artist's work.
0: And the idea is to go into spaces that are derelict or unused and to revive them or resuscitate them in some way.
1: Yeah, we love as a biennial, as a festival, to reopen spaces that people from Liverpool might remember. So this tobacco warehouse that we're sitting in now for a long time was used as a market. So if you're from Liverpool, you probably came here with your mum or your dad or your gran. Um, In the last biennial, we were in Lewis's department store, which is the department store you went to to get your school shoes, or to get anything, basically, which has been closed for a while and is currently under redevelopment. So one of the things we like to do is to put artists' work in these incredible venues that people from Liverpool remember and people from outside Liverpool get to experience a different part of the city's history.
0: So it's a way of bringing
1: people in? It's a way... bringing people in it's a way of connecting people to the city in a different way it's a way of putting artists work in particular contexts that work with what the artist is interested in as well Um, so that's really important and it's a way of having presence across the city and it's also a way of communicating with different people you know somebody might want to go in an old department store who wouldn't perhaps go into a gallery Because they've got a memory of it. They've got a memory of it. They just want to see what it looks like inside. We're free. So all our venues are free. Everything we do is free. So those barriers aren't there. And then once we've got someone inside the venue, then it's really easy to have a conversation about what we're doing, about everything else we're doing, about the family workshops or anything else that you might get to go and participate in while the festival is on.
0: Mm. And is the response quite good from the local, from the locals? Do they see it as something they want to get involved with, or is there a certain, is there a sense at all of it being something that's removed or a bit elitist?
1: I mean, we've been going for twenty-five years now. And some of the things that we've done are part of the Liverpool landscape. So Anthony Gormley's another place, which is out at Cosby Beach, for example, is so owned by the people of Liverpool that in some ways it's not even a Liverpool biennial commission anymore. So, in a way that we're we're part of the fabric of the city. Also, we've been going for 25 years, so what that means is that people who are on the team who are working for Liverpool Biennial now were kids when they first saw Liverpool Biennial. So we have also are made by people who have experienced and grown up with the Biennial. So that's part of what we do as well. We're always working hard to try and make it um, as available to everybody as we can. You know, we're, we bring artists from across the world to this city, and we bring people from across the world to this city, but the idea is to communicate and connect people from across the world with Liverpool and the people who live and work and study and learn here as well. So we work really hard to try and think about, actually, how do we talk about the art that we've got here? Who are we inviting? Um, what kind of... Events might we put on that would attract a really broad audience what what might we do differently to make what we do available for everybody to be a biennial for everybody as much as we can really? And who are the people making up those decisions? Oh goodness, Well, <laughs> there's a whole load because we're a biennial. We don't have our own gallery space um, all the year round that lasts forever we are basically just a group of people. And we're a group of people based in Liverpool who work with organisations across the city. And some of those organisations are formal, like Tate. Some of them work in more community-based ways. Some of them are schools. Some of them are teachers. Um, some of them, yeah, are connecting in that way. So together as an organisation with our board as well, we make our decisions in relation to all the people we work with Um, but with a particular focus every two years when we work with a specific person who comes in and gives us an idea or a way to rethink our city and um, the art that we're going to show in it that year
0: is that the person who then is the curator
1: yeah so this year's curator is called Kenesili Mbongwa and she's from South Africa um, she's a black, queer woman, curator, artist, healer, mother, daughter. Um, and she's been working with us um for about 18 months on this biennial, and she's living in the city at the moment. So the the title of this year is Umoya, the sacred
0: return of lost things. Mm-hmm. Um a quote from Ken Yisile is I that I read is um she said. This biennial locates itself in Liverpool not only as a provocation to the city, but also as an intimate excavation of its history and temperament. Can you talk a bit about the theme? Yeah, of course. Of this year's edition and how it's reflected in in that statement?
1: Yeah, so Umoya, which is the title, Umoya, the sacred return of lost things. The word Umoya means spirit, breath, wind, temperament. Those things that Kanesile was talking about in that statement you just quoted. And it's in her language, or one of her languages, but her um, primary language is Zulu. And the, the idea for that title and for using that language came on her first visit to Liverpool when she came in the bleakest of Liverpool midwinters. I mean, in retrospect, I don't know why we invited her to come in in the middle of winter. She came from South Africa, from Cape Town. (laughs) She got to Liverpool. Liverpool right now is beautiful. Weather's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Do come. (laughs) Um, but, But in February, it was bitterly cold. And we wrapped her up as much as we could. And we piled her with scarves and thermal vests. And enormous
0: warehouses as well.
1: Yeah. It would be so cold. So much of what we do is based around the dock and that historic dock. It's where, for those of you that haven't been to Liverpool, um, Tate Art Gallery is built on those docks. National Museums, Liverpool have the Museum of Liverpool down there, they have the Maritime Museum, the International Slavery Museum. So that's all on the most exposed part of the city. And we took her there and had lots of visits and met lots of people. And she stood on those docks after we'd had a day of visits and talks about how she could feel this wind cut through her and cut to her bones. And at that point, she she knew that that what she would do, that what she would talk about in relation to the city of Liverpool is this idea of the wind, this idea of a wind that brought goods to the city, that took ships out that would transport enslaved Africans around the world, and that a, a wind that would also lead potentially towards new possibilities. So this idea of... Of blowing in, blowing out and then possibilities to blow back out to the world now of change and joy and different stories.
0: Liverpool obviously has a complicated history with
1: slavery. How has the theme of the festival been received? The theme's been received really well. Um, And I think that's partly where we are in the world at the moment. So people are thinking about histories really carefully and how they affect or continue to affect people's lives, particularly people of color. Um, And this biennial doesn't shy away from that in any way. Some of the works directly speak to and with those histories. There's a work by Binta Dao, who's an Italian Senegalese artist that's in the space that we're sitting in now, which is um, called Chorus of Soil, and is a recreation of a representation of the Brooks ship that was used to transport Africans um, from Africa across the world. Um, And she's created it out of soil and the soil is planted with seeds. Um, and Diao's work is concerned with lots of things to do with those histories, to do with mourning and remembrance, to do also with histories of resistance, to do with ideas of growing in relation to plantations, but also growth and new growth of seeds and plant life as a different possibility, thinking about joy and who gets to tell the stories about those histories of Liverpool's past. What happens if it's not just the people um, who write the history books, but people who, who, um, who gets to tell those histories of Liverpool's past? What if it's people who come and have experienced the ongoing effects of slavery and the enslavement of people? What if it's black and brown bodies that get to tell those stories as well?
0: And I noticed, well, it's interesting that there seems to be a focus on This idea that you were mentioned with the plants and the seeds of rebirth, regeneration, Mm. um, positivity and moving forward. Is that something that you consciously wanted to lean on?
1: It comes from Canisile's practice. So as a curator, she's interested in ideas of cure and care. So when I invite a curator, when I invite Canisile, the invitation is open. Um, I, I, used to, I used to be a curator. Like I have to keep my nose out of it now because at the moment I'm, I'm director of a biennial and the curator is invited to do that work and bring with them how they work, how they want to practice as a curator, what they want to do, how they want to work with artists. So that freedom was given to Canisile to propose a biennial however she wanted to. The way she works is through listening, through thinking really carefully about everybody she works with and for thinking through histories that allow for different forms of al- of what she calls aliveness. So this idea that um, black and brown bodies um, have been denied aliveness. But there's a possibility that, you know, there's radical possibilities for different experience and for claim, claiming that aliveness. um And that was central to what she wanted to talk about in this biennial.
0: It's quite a, a staggering undertaking that you've got, got here because there's um eight venues yeah. across the city, five outdoor works, and it features 35 artists. Can you describe what it's like for a visitor who arrives in Liverpool or who's maybe already here, how they would um, experience the festival?
1: The festival is free, so you can experience it in whatever way suits you really. Um, There are different routes that we've drawn out that propose different ways that you could visit the biennial. So you could, depending on how much time you have. So there's a really practical answer, which is if you've got two hours, go on the two hour route. If you've got a day, go on the day route. If there's a weekend, (laughs) go on the weekend routes. But I guess there's a more intuitive approach, which is perhaps to um, go where you're drawn to first. There's no specific way that you have to negotiate the biennial and then to move your way around the city, um, depending on what interests you or whether you're more interested in seeing places that you've never been to before or whether you know where Tate might be and you want to go straight to that or open eye or whether you want to go to Victoria Art Gallery which is up a hill and part of the university so that's one way of doing it it may be you know in a way this biennial is about weather and temperament (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it may be that whether the sun is shining or whether it's a windy day will dictate how you want to move yes, around the city. That's,
0: that's very, that's really interesting, isn't it? That there are different, it's it's a it's a variable way of experiencing it. Yeah.
1: Weather dependent. Weather dependent. I mean, I did give a tour the other day in the pouring rain that started, we have sculptures near the train station by an artist called Nicholas Gallanin. And it was a 20-minute walk to the next set of sculptures that I was taking people to. And I did, I did say you don't have to stay on this tour because we're going to get soaked but you know I lost one person on the way that was pretty good going I thought
0: so. that's a challenging option so that was a challenging option got the weekend a option, challenging the kind of, yeah um which out of the artworks on display has attracted the most attention or been you know been a talking point
1: oh goodness I don't know it's changed throughout the biennial. Um, ranty bam's work which are these amazing ceramic um sculptures called ethers um, which are the imprint of a of a hug or a holding and they're in saint nicholas's churchyards are just these really beautiful gorgeous works that are very physical. Once you are, once um, you understand what you're looking at in terms of how they're physically made, they also are, are kind of embracing and people and I and everybody loves those works. They're really incredible. There's work by Guadalupe Maravilla in Tate, which are these extraordinary disease throwers that are a, a hybrid between sculpture, musical instruments they incorporate gongs um, and also have different objects that he's collected on his travels Um, they're wearable pieces as well though there isn't a space to wear them and they're such extraordinary objects to look at and to be around that people are really compelled them. Mm. Um, and then Sharon Alonso has done this beautiful drawing, undrawing, and then redrawing, which is in our venue Cotton Exchange around Carnival. She's from Trinidad. Um, and those drawings and her sculptures as well are really amazing. Um, it's, I think, with the biennial, one of the amazing things is that you get to bring together so many different art forms within one experience so you're not limited in any way so to have Shannon's drawings um, figurative drawings in the same exhibition effectively as Binta sculpture made out of soil which is far more conceptual in that way um, is just one example of how if you come to the biennial there will be something that really engages you regardless of what you think you like or you don't like about art. There will be sculpture and there'll be paintings and there will be digital works and there will be sound and there will be video. um, So that there will be something there for you. And then hopefully you also get to experience something else as well. And some of the pieces
0: remain on permanent display.
1: We like to keep at least one work from each biennial permanently embedded in the city we commission work with artists in quite a short period of time and we work really fast um, to do that and you're never sure how those works will land in a city uh, which works people might want to keep in the city which works um, other organizations might get in touch and say oh actually could we Borrowed this. There's a whole load of live conversations going on at the same time. So, but they all have to be completed before the biennial ends on the 17th of September. So we're working hard on lots of different conversations with people who are interested in the works that are here.
0: And when do you announce what what which which piece it is that's the permanent
1: piece? When it's confirmed. <laughs> It's ongoing. It's ongoing. I mean, I'd also we do I do ideally want every biennial, at least one work from the biennial, to end up in a collection in Liverpool as well. So these works have been commissioned from artists around the world, but they're all made for the context mm. of Liverpool. So the hope is that from each biennial, one work will be acquired to go into National Museums, Liverpool, Walker Art Gallery, or another collection. Um, From this biennial, Melanie Mancho's work, Stephen, has already been agreed to go into the Walker Art Collection. And that's a work that's been created with um, people in Liverpool who have experienced recovery from addiction. But my hope, I come from a museum's background, so my hope is always that there will be that legacy when a work from the biennial ends up in a collection and mm. to tell, to contribute to telling a different part of the story about the city and about the art in it and about the collections in it too.
0: It's nice to have these sort of quite clear goalposts for, for the biennial and for what it's what it's setting out to achieve. Like you said, having that permanent piece, broadening the remit of what Liverpool can offer. And it's 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 quite interesting. Is it um the committee or whatever you call the governing the group of people who gather and decide the theme do they are there these parameters that you have to stick to quite rigidly that say this is what we're doing this is what we these are the boxes we need to tick for this
1: we have a board we don't have a a a kind of parameter that we set we do have um ambitions about what we want to do that we talk about internally as a team so about work entering the collection about how many people we want would like to visit about how we want to make a commitment to making as many of our public events accessible in terms of um, offering uh, british sign language for example so we have like an internal set of things that we aim to do um, and, and the thing when we make that invitation to the curator, I also um, outline what are the things that, what are those things that are important to us as an organisation. So for the last one, um, we talked to Kemisile and all the curators about the importance of access. So how might they think about language and how they write about their work? How might we rethink the biennials, so that physically it's easy to get to. Like traditionally, biennials, which are these two-year festivals that happen all around the world um, in different cities, often this idea of using old or disused spaces is really familiar. So that's kind of a thing that biennials do. But that also means that they might be... um, downstairs or in a cellar or in a basement or up in a tower. I mean, you get to see these incredible spaces. But actually, that means that not everybody can see those spaces. So something we made a commitment to for this biennial was making sure that every single space we used had had flat access so that you could visit it. So that was part of the initial discussion with Canisile. We also asked her to think about how could we be more sustainable as an organisation? If we're commissioning art, if we're working with artists from around the world, how can we think really carefully about what we do and how we create and the invitation we make to artists? So there are frameworks that we put in place. And then, of course, the incredible thing about working with curators or artists from different parts of the world is that they're already thinking about these things they're just thinking at them about them from completely different cultural contexts. And so what that brings is a different way of thinking about learning or sustainability or what access means. Um, sustainability means something very different if you live and work as an artist in Uganda, mm-hmm. like Sandra Subi, who's one of our artists, where we export a huge amount of our plastic waste, mm-hmm. you know, So what is an
0: example of something that you've done as a sustainability initiative for this edition? We
1: have um, started to analyse the work when we commission sculptures, the materials that make those works and how easy or difficult it might be to recycle them or how long they might last in terms of duration. And then we might propose different materials to the artist. So it's very much a conversation with the artists. Um, we don't expect the artists to do all that work or to have that knowledge, but to be open to a conversation about how do we think a little bit more differently about what we make these works from. That's one of the most straightforward things that we've done. But it sounds straightforward, actually quite tricky. These things, never, yeah, these
0: things are never straightforward, are they? Um, how is the theme of the, how is the, how
1: is the theme decided? The theme was decided by the curator. So they propose, they're invited to the city, we introduce them to people, um, they have some time to think about, and then they come back with an initial proposal and theme, Mm. um, which is the way that this biennial's been structured. I mean, different Liverpool biennials have worked differently. Um, there was one where there was a curatorial collective, so that was very much decided together. I know that there's, um, there are biennials or a recent biennial There, the artist list is decided first. So who are the artists you want to work with? And then the curator might work backwards from that to see, oh, actually, what is it that we're interested in? Can I tell from looking at this practice? Is there a theme that comes from the artist rather than the other way around? Whereas with Canisile, she wrote a provocation and actually we shared it with all the artists we invited so that they might know that theming. And of course, if they felt their it's an open invitation, if they felt their work wasn't right, then, you know, that there was also an invitation, you know, to, to think really carefully about whether this was of interest to them, really. How is it funded? It's funded through Arts Council England, so through national government funding in the UK. It's funded through Liverpool City Council, um, which is our local city and council fund, a number of cultural organisations in the city. And then we fundraise the rest ourselves. So we go to international trusts and foundations, we go to individuals we have patrons so ask people to commit to us over a period of time we apply to national foundations as well for different elements of our work so we spend a lot of time like all organizations also thinking about raising money about being financially sustainable and about being responsible about what we spend our money on
0: and who is it for i know that there's a focus on Liverpudlians coming the local community, getting the local community involved, but obviously with content marketing or, you know, there's opportunities across social media to be visible to a much bigger global audience, even to people who can't necessarily visit in person. Who are you thinking of, who, who, are, you making, who are you aiming this at?
1: Well, we're aiming it at international visitors, national visitors, people who are interested in art and culture, um, as well as local and regional visitors as well. So like everybody else, we really shifted during the pandemic. Um we did have a biennial in the middle of the pandemic in 2021. In 2021. That's just after you started. That's just after I started. So we opened <laughs> the biennial the first that was day. my fire. Yeah, that was. <laughs> it was a good it was a good test. Um, we opened the biennial the first day that you could open galleries and museums. Um, and what happened then was our audience changed massively um, to be predominantly, of course, local. And before then, we'd always had a really significant international um, audience and a national audience. Um, so this time, we've been really happy to welcome back many, many international visitors and national visitors so, so as So well. it's up. As of right now, yes, um, we had set ourselves some targets that took account of the fact that the return to cultural venues in the UK still hasn't returned to pre-COVID levels. As long as we've got our sums right, I think we've got our sums (laughs) right, we've already um, surpassed our footfall for um, the previous non-pandemic year but i am going to caveat that because sometimes the calculations need to be looked at really carefully but yes we've had a huge amount of interest a really significant amount of visitors fantastic and presumably with all these
0: social media platforms that's augmented and the opportunities for discoverability are magnified you mentioned other biennials what to your mind makes the liverpool biennial unique
1: with liverpool biennial What we're trying to do is to make a biennial that could only be made in Liverpool. So in this particular one, it's about really thinking about Liverpool's histories, about the spaces we use and about how the artists' work connects with and retells those stories. And what I'd like to do as we go forward into the future is to keep with that, to make biennials and invite artists to make work that works The work specifically within the context of this city here. Mm.
0: So what happens to the next one
1: 2025? 2025, then 2027, I'm on it, <laughs> You're I'm, on it. I'm
0: on it. What happens Nat, between now
1: and the launch of the next one? So we start recruiting a new curator, so thinking about um, who we might invite to come and do that and both for 2025 and for 2027. So 2025 will look a bit different. Um, The Tate in Liverpool will be closed at that point. It's undergoing a big refurbishment, and it's likely that another area of the docks will be undergoing some change as well. So that gives us an opportunity to maybe use some different sites across the city to work differently, to expand where we go and who we work with, So really interested in rethinking the city for the next one and how the biennial works within Liverpool. So there's a process that's about Mm -hmm. recruiting somebody, inviting them to spend time in the city, asking them and finding out what they want to work on, doing visits to, I mean, Kenesile, our current curator, met with about 200 artists um, as part of her process to select for this show. Um, different curators have different methodologies that hers was a very generous and time-consuming methodology Um, and then we start building a list of artists we start thinking about where in the city and which of our partner venues they might work in. we start raising money for that we start thinking about how we might convey that visually in terms of visual identity we start telling the story of the biennial we have an event to launch it I mean it feels like it could happen next week quite frankly when I start talking about <laughs> need a it break. we do need a break <laughs> and then 27 I'm thinking about as well um, because I think that will be Around um, lots of change will have happened in the city then it'll be an amazing opportunity to have something that really shines internationally um, and with all these buildings we open I think it will be an extraordinary biennial too so thinking about ooh how could we change it around the city for the next one that's really interesting and then what might 2027 look like that's exciting um, so you said you were a curator before you did this yes
0: so before you were the curator at the Hepworth Week. One of the curators, the Hepworth, yeah. One of the curators. How do you find being a director compared to being a curator? I
1: think, um, goodness, well, I'm not as close to the artist or the art anymore. So I think that's the difficult thing, um, is that you lose that direct contact, contact and that type of thinking with artists because that's not my job anymore my job is to make this thing happen and to make it happen with everybody that we need to make it happen with um so it's a a facilitator or a kind of midwife role like I'm there I'll I'll hold your hands I'm birthing it but I'm not the person giving birth anymore Quite an extended metaphor. Yeah. A,
0: so so that's <laughs> an analogy,
1: but I like it. I really get So this. that's the difference. So I need to make sure that everything's everything is set up to make this happen in the best way it can possibly. That's my job. So um so I miss having that closeness. Um with artists, but I also, when I work with a curator, when I worked with kind of C-Lay, my invitation was really clear, was that I, I wouldn't try and curate it. Um, and I did, with the exception of, like, one moment where, towards the end, where I tried to stick my nose in, and then I caught myself doing it, and I just said, OK, I'm going to leave now. Um, I did manage to do it. Um, so that's, that's one difference. I think the other difference as a director is that I'm, you know, I'm in a different vantage point. So I am casting my eye over everything at the same time. And that's very different from being immersed in thinking about the art, the artist, the, the detail of that, Yeah, and there's a real pleasure in that detail, in working as a curator. You know, there's a real pleasure in in doing that thinking, particularly in relation to space and location and work. Um, But there's plenty of other detail for me to keep my eye on, quite frankly. A lot to
0: think about. Thank you so much, Sam. That's right. Thank you. It's been lovely chatting. You've been listening to In Talks With, with me, Danielle Rodeuchin. The sound and theme music is by Woogie Productions and the artwork is by Patrick Wall. If you enjoyed this episode, please pass it on to someone who you think might also like it. Please subscribe and leave a review. To pitch for guest ideas, you can DM me via my socials at Danielle Rodeuchin. Thanks for listening.